Welcome to the Revolution Church Podcast. Before we begin, we'd like to remind you that our ministry is supported 100% by listeners like you. To make your 100% tax-deductible donation today, please visit revolutionchurch.com donate. You can also learn more by clicking the donate section on the website. Good morning. Um, it's a nice small crowd. It's not too bad. I don't have to yell. Um, as you may know, I'm not Jay. Uh, Jay asked me to fill in. Um, I'm Brian. And Jay and his family are out of town on vacation. So he had said, hey, do you want to fill in? I'm like, sure. So here I am. Sorry if I'm a little tired. I got like two hours of sleep. Maybe it's because I have a, what is she, seven weeks old today? Our daughter. Um, so yeah. But I got an announcement. Can you guys hear me okay? Do I need to move the microphone? Um, Jay wanted me to say that for the next four weeks, we'll still have revolution, but we're not going to have it here. Um, I guess there's an event that has been previously booked. So for the next four weeks, we're going to be meeting at Lake Calhoun or by Lake Calhoun at a place called the Tin Fish. And I don't know what if he's going to just have like a little get together and talk or whatever, but the next four weeks we'll be here, or we'll be there, and then come back at the end of August for, you know, for the foreseeable future. So I think that's it. Um, I think maybe, as Jay would say, a lot of people are at the cabin, because everyone likes the cabin, or at the lake. It's kind of nice out. Um, but I'm going to be talking today out of Jonah, which is one of my favorite books of the Bible. Um it's one of those kind of, to me, larger-than-life stories. And uh, this is kind of my take on it. And one of my things, maybe my daughter doesn't like what I'm going to be speaking on because she's kind of fussy. Anyway, um, Jonah, you know that story of the guy who gets swallowed by that huge whale, right? Actually, he never got swallowed by a whale. Geographically speaking, whales were not in that part of the world. I'm not saying I don't believe in whales or fishes. I do believe in both, but geographically in that part where, you know, modern-day Israel, whales just aren't there. It's most likely a bigger fish. What fish, Scripture doesn't really tell us what kind. Actually, personally, to me, I don't really believe the story is a factual event, but rather a story that the biblical writers wrote to do a larger literary uh, meaning. A lot of times you look in you know, other forms of um, uh, great, great literature, and they use stuff, they use stories as great literary devices. And if you look in biblical, in the biblical history, um, a lot of those people were very, uh, they were story cultures. So the larger the story was, the more kind of, like I, we have a movie you know, if we have a movie, the larger something is, the you know, larger the story, putting cool things in there that sells more things. So maybe this story was the same way. Actually, and I was in seminary uh, writing a master's paper in one of my Old Testament classes, and I decided to write on Jonah because I've always been fascinated with the with this whole narrative. And I had a professor who was very too to the T. Uh, he believed in the Bible was inerrant, that there was no errors, there was no, there was no uh, everything in there was true. 
And I was just trying to say that the this story had a larger meaning, had a larger point. Um, you know, I kind of took the route of, you know, God will get his person um, no matter what. And I've kind of changed my thinking on there. But just saying that the story was fictitious, it wasn't real, you know, all that. And he actually wrote back. I got a pretty good grade. He's like, I disagree with you wholeheartedly, but I'm sure most of scholarship does uh does agree with you so that that made me feel good that my professor said that but to get kind of into the nitty-gritty context is key we need to understand why Nineveh was such a terrible place in Jonah's mind I'm going to use Rob Bell's book I know some people are torn with Rob Bell Um, I was going to bring it today but I forgot I let my co-worker borrow it but Rob Bell's new book is fascinating. It's called What is the Bible? There's a huge subtitle um, for the title. But if you Google it, you know, Amazon or whatever, it's a really good book. But What is the Bible? And he he wrote a chapter called Fish, and it's all about this story. So some of what I'm saying in here is given to, you know, I have to give credit towards Rob Bell. It just made me out of all the chapters in his book. That one jumped out to me and kind of gave me uh, inspiration and why to why to write it. <clears throat> Assyria, <clears throat> excuse me, was a nation that were invaders. They came and invaded lands. They deported people, laid siege, and you can bet there was a lot of killing, slavery, etc. That the Assyrians did. The Assyrians, for lack of a better phrase, were just a-holes. I'm not going to say the whole word, but they were jerks in my research. They were just bad people. If you could just imagine a, a military power or, or, you know, if you see in a movie, just a, a, a military power that's so strong. This was the Assyrians. They were nasty, brutish, violent, oppressive, they made life for the Israelites literally hell. Over and over and over, the cycle happened for what seemed like forever. It was during this era that Jonah shows up on the scene. Jonah was an Israelite. God tells Jonah, I would have probably, or sorry, God tells Jonah one of his, one of his followers to bring the message to Nineveh. So you so just I just read uh, how bad Nineveh was and God in the Old Testament God was uh, called Yahweh. Tell God tells Jonah, "Hey, you're one of my followers. Why don't you bring my message of hope and love and peace to Nineveh?" As you heard what I just said about Assyria, Nineveh was in Assyria. So you could kind of tell if you felt if you thought God had called you to do this, that you, a lot of these, I don't know, red flags would be going off in your head, being like, I don't want to go do this. If we read Jonah, we can see that Jonah wants nothing of it. In Jonah 1, verses 1 and 2, Jonah states, or God says to Jonah, Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against its wickedness that has come before me. But Jonah ran away from God and headed 
and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship, paid, and boarded it, bound for Tarshish. Let's be honest. Most of us would probably have done the exact same thing. I know I would have. Think about it. A people who are so corrupt, who have invaded and enslaved you. It would be like God telling us to give the message of hope and love to ISIS or to someone like the Nazis. Jonah is like most of us in this story. He got the hell out of Dodge. The story goes further to state that God sent a violent storm that was furious and the sailors were the ones praying for mercy. I think that's kind of a I'm going to just stop there. I think that's kind of a cool thing where Jonah, who is this prophet of God, who was told to go to Nineveh, he left. He was like, let's just pretend Nineveh is this way. He saw the coast. He saw the port. He's like, let me just go there. Let me jump on this boat. Let me pay this. Let me go that way. And then when he's on the boat, he's still not clicking with him that, like, hey, maybe I shouldn't be going this way. Maybe I should be going back to Nineveh where I was told to go. And that the sailors, we don't know if they believed in God, what, what their religious point was. And I guess in the story in, in Jonah, it doesn't really matter. But that it's the sailors that the ones were praying, whether they were praying to God or whatever, praying to their God, I don't know. We're not told. But that they were the ones that were praying for mercy and for help, not Jonah. Where was Jonah? Scripture says that he was sleeping. <laughs> Such I, I just love Jonah, this story of Jonah just because Jonah is, he fits so much into most of us on what we do when we feel like we should do something and we maybe we don't jump on a boat and go somewhere, but a lot of times when we are called to do something, we like to run the other way, whether we're scared, nervous, uh, lack of knowing what we're going to do. I wanted to know how could you sleep in such a terrible storm. I don't know. I, I sleep through storms here sometimes, but I feel like if I was on a boat in the middle of the ocean or in a giant sea and their ships probably were not as big as our modern ships, how you could be just sleeping through that whole thing. <clears throat> Talk about being angry at a command God gave you. I know I'm skipping kind of in and out of some of the chapters. The the narrative of Jonah is only four chapters. Uh, But Jonah was left distraught, and he knew that this was the doing of God. I like what the sailors did. After they were praying and they felt like nothing was happening, the storm was still very um, intense and very rocky. So what the sailors did is they dumped him overboard. And yep, you guessed it. This is where that big fish comes up and swallows him. In Jonah chapter 2, which takes in in the entirety inside the belly of the fish, Jonah has a very deep prayer with God. It seems like he understood the errors of his way and that he is repentant of his, in lack of a better phrase, stupidity. So I'm going to 
when I was doing research for this, I mean, Jonah's not that long, so I read the whole thing, but I think Jonah 2 is a, uh, it's kind of cool just because, like I said, it was in the in the belly of the whale. So I'm just going to say what here. I like the message remix, so it's a little bit different than like the NIV or other ones, but I like this. So here, then Jonah prayed to his God from the belly of the fish. He prayed, in trouble, deep trouble, I prayed to God. He answered me. From the belly of the grave, I cried, help. You heard my cry. You threw me into ocean's depth, into a watery grave, with ocean waves, ocean breakers crashing over me. I've said I've been thrown away, thrown out, out of your sight. I'll never again lay eyes on your holy temple. Ocean gripped me by the throat. The ancient abyss grabbed me and held tight. My head was all tangled in seaweed at the bottom of the sea where their mountains take root. I was so far down as a body can go, and the gates were slamming shut behind me forever. Yet you pulled me up from that, from that grave alive. Oh God, my God, when my life was slipping away, I remembered God, and my prayer got through to you, made it all the way to your holy temple. Those who worship hollow gods, God frauds, walk away from their only true love, but I'm worshiping you, God, calling out in thanksgiving, and all I'll do, and I'll do what I promise to do. Salvation belongs to you, God. Then God spoke to the fish, and it vomited up Jonah on the seashore. As like I said, that's pretty intense prayer. I mean, I know I've prayed and maybe we've prayed on things, but I don't think we've ever prayed in the belly of a whale. Um, and when I was writing this, I thought this would be really cool. I think the whole narrative, the whole story of Jonah would be pretty cool if they made it into a movie, maybe like a little TV show. And uh, just with our, our uh, animation or our special effects, I think it would be pretty cool. But I, out of any place in the Bible, I think Jonah 2, not necessarily the prayer. The prayer is pretty, it's kind of a, it's like a lament, um, like what we see a lot in the Psalms and Lamentations. But to me, this it it's hard to wrap my head around because this was supposedly supposed to take place inside a whale, which I think is pretty pretty cool. But obviously at the end, as I just read, Jonah was spit up after this prayer. So obviously God heard God liked what Jonah had to say, and apparently the the fish vomited him up. Jonah chapter three is to me kind of the crux of this of this narrative. Jonah, after getting thrown up from this fish, is actually in Nineveh. And what I think was cool about this, so we don't know we we saw at the beginning that he got swallowed up by this fish. And he was going the opposite direction away from Nineveh. I don't know how far Tarshish or Joppa, whatever it was, but that this I think it was three days in the belly of a whale. That somehow this whale swam all the way to Nineveh. So this fish, while Jonah was inside it, was swimming, and the fish vomited vomited Jonah up right outside the city of Nineveh. So. Do with that what you want, but I think that's kind of a cool part of the story that most of us don't look at. 
And in chapter 3, if we look at it intently, Jonah begrudgingly goes into the city to give the message of God that God told him to give. Jonah 3 says this, Jonah began by going a day's journey into Nineveh, proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed in God, or believed God then, and then declared a fast, and all of them, from greatest to the least, put on a sackcloth. We just saw, as a little bit um, earlier, that these Ninevites were just, just bad people. What they did and how they laid waste to, to the Israelites and to other people, enslaved them, took their jobs, uh, killed their cattle, anything that they did to make money, to live. And this is what the Ninevites did. And you see Jonah go in there, and Jonah was saying, hey, in 40 days, you have 40 days to kind of turn away from this wickedness that you're doing. This is what God says. And it says in Jonah, just does it with pretty much verse, verse, and then right afterwards, it said, then they believed. And then they put, and from the greatest to least of these, they put on a sackcloth. And the interesting thing about a sackcloth, I don't know if you know what a sackcloth is, so I kind of looked into it a little bit. What, what, what is the sackcloth? I always thought of it was like a, like a potato sack that you maybe would put on. Maybe that's the best thing. I don't know. But a sackcloth is what you wore when you were crying out to God. You did this in biblical times when you actually realized your sins, when you were asking for God's mercy. The king himself declared everybody to wear sackcloth, even the animals. So if you could just imagine an entire city, large or small, who were just this evil lot of people and then their king who was the one in charge of telling hey telling their military telling all their people go and do this go and do this that the king putting on sackcloth all of his, all of his you know people in charge with him all the people and even all the animals putting on a sackcloth is kind of an uh if you think about it just kind of an amazing thing that happened this is what you would call one of the ultimate forms of repentance, I feel like, especially when you look in the Old Testament. Sometimes in the New Testament we see people, you know, uh, having their own kind of individual understanding of what they did, um, having repentance from what they did, you know, not wanting to do that, but having an entire city uh, do it is pretty, pretty amazing. When I was looking and, and researching um, how big Nineveh was because when you hear city you're like how big is how big is something and actually most most commentaries and most scholars would say what they can probably guess guesstimate from where the modern day um, Nineveh would be it, there was 120,000 people in Nineveh we might not think that is that big because look at we live in the twin cities and both of our cities together are almost a million people but back in Bible times 120,000 people in a city was a huge, uh, huge number. What a transformation, though. Talk about a God being a God of forgiveness. 
in the final chapter of Jonah, we see that Jonah is really upset with God. Jonah explains, I knew that you were a gracious God and a compassionate God, slow to anger and abiding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, God, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Did Jonah actually tell God to take his life? Nowhere in, nowhere in the scripture do we hear a prophet or someone else just saying, pretty much cursing that they were born, saying, God, please just take my life. Why, why did you tell me to go do this? Not only did, and we see, the, we see how hard-headed, narcissistic Jonah was at the beginning. Then in chapter 2, he kind of has this quasi-transformation in the belly of the whale. Then in chapter 3, we see Jonah begrudgingly going into Nineveh, saying, hey, this is what God says you know, please do this, you have 40 days. And then the Ninevites are like, yeah, we believe in your God. Yeah, we're wrong. Yeah, you know, we'll put on these sackcloth. And then you see in Jonah 4, Jonah saying, God, please, please kill me. I don't want to be here. So we see the turmoil. We see this transformation happening in the hearts of the Ninevites. And we thought we saw it in the heart and in the mind of Jonah. But you see in Jonah 4, Jonah, deep down in his heart of hearts, in his mind, really, he did it kind of half-heartedly. He did it saying, okay, maybe, God, you will do this. Maybe, God, you will love them or forgive them. But he is so mad at not just the Ninevites, but he's mad at God. And he's like, why, why did you do this? I would rather have you kill me than to have these people be forgiven. I love this rabbi's name. His literal name is Rabbi, rabbi Stephen Bob. In his commentary, he wrote a good commentary. He actually has a whole chapter, and I'm not going to go into specifics, but a whole chapter on Jonah being a narcissist. And he kind of goes through the book of Jonah verse by verse, and it was just saying how throughout the book of Jonah, yes, Jonah had some, obviously, spiritual turmoil. He had just his context of what the, the Ninevites did to him and his people. But really at the core of it, he was a narcissist. It was more or less, this is what I'm doing. Not He lost the whole point of this is what, what um, God is doing, and I'm just this messenger. But it became more about him and what he was doing, not about what God had called him to do. Jonah does not get it. I think we f- see through the whole whole narrative of this this whole big story. Just Jonah doesn't get the biggest message. And that biggest message is forgiveness. Forgiveness is foolishness. Just let this sink in for a second. Forgiveness is foolishness. It does not make sense but yet we all need to do it. We need to forgive the ones who have hurt us, the ones who treat us like garbage or fill in the blank, however you want. 
Jonah's pissed off. He's angry at God. He's so mad that God has been kind to the Ninevites. Rob Bell, as, who, as I said earlier, gave a great chapter in his book on this. So go pick that book up, shameless plug again. Rob Bell asked this question. This was in, in his chapter called Fish. When you haven't forgiven someone who has wronged you, and then something good happens to them, when they are blessed or shown mercy or favor, it's infuriating. I know I've been in this position before, but this story of Jonah shows us the power <clears throat> excuse me, of actual forgiveness. When God blesses those who we think don't deserve it, we get angry. It infuriates us. We think many times that they are worthless. When we think this, when we get into this mindset, aren't we not just like Jonah? <clears throat> Rob Bell also asks a couple of these questions, and I think they were so poignant that I couldn't, I don't think, really leave them out. But I'll just read them once, kind of let it sink in and read it again. And just, I would say even today, tomorrow, whatever, just kind of meditate on this whole part of what I'm saying. Rob Bell asked this question. Can you forgive your worst enemy and be a channel through which God's redeeming love can flow to them? Also, can you move on from the past? Or does the past decide the future? Finally, he asks, Are our wounds with us forever? Or can we heal and be set free from them? i get some water. <clears throat> Obviously, my, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'll tell a story, but my story isn't that of Jonah and the intensity of that. But this is a story for me that had wounded me, who that hurt me for many, many years that I couldn't, had a hard time getting over. My wife met me when I was kind of right in the middle of it. You know, my mom and my and my family and some friends knew that it was such a struggle, but. When I was writing this, I was thinking of stories, and this story just kind of popped in my mind of how angry and mad at God I was and, and mad at other people. And But when I was thinking about it, I'm like, I had to forgive these people and the people that wounded me. Um, and so I feel like this story of Jonah kind of like made me even realize that how important forgiveness is. But the story, I'll try to say it quickly, was I grew up in the church, um, I actually grew up in the same denomination as Jay, which is the Assemblies of God. That's a conservative Pentecostal denomination. And I grew up here in the Twin Cities, and the church was just over the river in St. Paul. And I was one of these typical young kids who I was always in Sunday school. I always went to children's church and and all that. And then when I got into my teenage years, I went to the youth group and... When I got into the youth group, 
you know, it was fun. You know, you would hang out on Wednesdays and we would have a little, uh, I don't know, a little dinner beforehand. And then we would have our church service and we would hang out. But the older I got, I was one of these types of people, and my wife can attest, maybe sometimes more annoyingly, that I always ask questions, and I ask questions, and I ask questions. Maybe that was good that I went to seminary. But I was my, my pastors, the mentors, the youth leaders there, never really wanted to go into specifics. I don't know if they weren't trained in it, or they just thought I was some punk kid <laughs> who kept asking questions. But I think church is an important place to ask questions. It's a safe place to ask questions. If you can't ask them in church, where are you going to ask them? And, you know, it was these questions of, uh, you know, they would read something out of Scripture, whatever, a uh, certain story, a certain... Uh, principle they think they would find out and i would i wouldn't just ask why but i was like why do you feel god did this or why did god choose to reveal god's self that way just questions that i didn't think were too too i don't know hard to answer but numerous times over the months and years they were like why don't you just believe it we don't have to explain ourselves. Just believe it. It's in the. You've got maybe some of you've heard the saying. Well, it's in the Bible. That settles it. I believe it. Kind of like so easy like that that they don't want to really engage with it and ask the tough questions and just kind of live with that ambiguity. And it was over and over and over. I kept getting that, and I, every time I came to youth group Sunday school went to a church service on Sunday, I just kind of started feeling empty. And then it got to the point, I think it was my junior year of high school, I remember, um, I don't know why, it's important to talk about uh, sexuality, human sexuality, all that, and it's such a deep, um, kind of a deep topic, and it can, I think it's good to have in churches, I think your parents should have it with you as well. But I remember and why we can't talk about it in a bigger group with both genders is beyond me. But I remember them having having a, a lock-in just for the guys. So the guys met with the youth pastor and the male youth leaders up in our, up in a youth room, and all the girls went to the youth pastor's wife's house. And I remember this kid coming in who had never really been in church that long, which is kind of a visitor from the community, and he, he was like, after being here the last couple of months, I feel really just wrong and bad. He was pretty much, he was just saying that his sexuality and, and, and certain things he was, he was dealing with and um, stuff like that. And my, my parents always told me to be a person who can be a beacon of hope to other people. If someone's going through something, struggling, don't ostracize them, but help them out. Um, say that you're on, you can be on their journey as much as you can with them, but don't judge people for where they're at or for what they're doing or what they're going through. And so the youth pastor was pretty much just saying like, oh yeah, you're a sinner, you're this, 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 and this. And I remember just, I don't know what got into me, but I was just saying, there's nothing wrong with you. God loves you. God cares about you. Wherever you're at on your journey, know that whether this church is for you, know that God is there for you, and God will help you every step of the way. 
And I thought that was an appropriate thing to say. I thought that was the right thing to say. Apparently, to my youth pastor, it was not the most, it wasn't the correct thing to say or the right thing to say. And I got a really stern talking to, and then fast forward about another couple weeks, and my brother and I, he was, he's six years older than me, so he was a mentor, not not of mine, but to other students, and we would always ride home um, from church together. And I remember we were about six blocks away from our church, and he pulls over, and just tears running down his face. And I was like, "What? what is going on? And he told me that that same youth pastor um, came up to him within that time from when I was really yelled at and what happened to my brother. And he was like, I was asked to pretty much resign my position from, from uh, being a youth mentor, which... If anybody knows my brother, he's, his passion is in the church, his passion's into helping people. He's children's pastor right now in the cities. And I'm not going to go into specifics just to protect stuff that he did, but he, he, he failed on certain things that he did, but all of us as humans fail on certain things, and we ask God for forgiveness. He asked, he asked God for forgiveness. He asked this person that that um what happened with them but somehow the youth pastor found out and the youth pastor without telling my family or anything just point blank went to my brother kicked him out said you're never welcome back in the youth group you're never welcome back to mentor anybody here and for the lack of a better phrase you should never really have communication with this church and i remember going to my brother just being torn up by that because it's like we grew up at this church since we were my daughter's age who's over there and to to have someone who quote unquote you know teaches out of the bible who talks about love and forgiveness just to kick us out kind of ostracize us then i was asked a couple weeks later not to come back because they thought i was getting too lippy um asking too many questions and that hurt for a long time that kind of I mean, I kind of sugarcoated it. It went in, went deeper than that. But for years, I could not stand going to church. I, you know, when people say, "Oh, I've been hurt by the church," and it's at different levels, but I, I, that was like my tribe. I resonated with people because I was like, "Yeah, I was hurt," and I was. I gave my life and at that up to that point to going to church, I would rather go there to church and do something on a Wednesday or Sunday or even a Friday night. And who is a te- who is a teenager would always be like, I want to go to church on Friday and, and, and do something. But I was that person. And when I, when I left, when I got told not to come back, it was not just a faith crisis, but it was just kind of this existential crisis. Like, what do I do? And I remember at that point just feeling hard like my heart hardened towards the church, my heart hardened towards the church people. And it was probably up until the last probably two or three years that I actually was like, why am I so angry still? Why Why is it when I do walk into a church? Why is it when I do ministry stuff that I have such a hard time? And kind of just this ping in my head was like, because you still haven't forgiven the people who have wounded you the most. And, you know, there's sometimes people badmouth us or talk behind her back or, you know, gossip. 
And if we find out, you know, we can forgive them for that because that's, to me, at a surface level. But what these people did, these youth pastors, these youth leaders, it, it hurt. It wounded me spiritually and emotionally. And I remember that I still follow that, that youth pastor on Facebook. And, you know, him and his family, you know, him and his wife are married. They have three, you know, kids. And they're missionaries. They're missionaries to Costa Rica. And for the longest time, I was like, why in the world would God bless these people? Why would God forgive them? Maybe they didn't even know what they did and the people they hurt. Because I'm not the only one that this happened to. It was several people who to this day still want nothing to do with God, want nothing to do with the church. And maybe it all has to stem back from that. Maybe everyone's on their own journey. But I I look at them, and now, every now and then, I actually pray for them, that God blesses them in their, their ministry, that God blesses them in the things that they do. Because someone could look at me and be like, that Brian guy is really weird. Like he's all tattooed. He talks in a bar sometimes and i'm part of my other denomination and um and when i do that at my church and they might look at me and be like oh he went off the deep end or he's weird or maybe he hurt me and so we have to look at it as forgiveness is a very tough thing to do but forgiveness is something that we're all required to do the book of jonah ends with a question and most most books in the bible kind of end on a strong note kind of you know like when you see a movie that's beginning the end or the beginning middle and the end and it's always kind of like is that hook that brings everything together and i like how the end of jonah end of the book of jonah happens it ends with the question should i not have concern for the great city of nineveh this is a question for all of us. We all have been hurt, are still hurt. We're angry, fill in the blank. But if God has forgiven the Ninevites, shouldn't we forgive those who have hurt us? It's easier said than done, I know. But let this story of Jonah be a story that shows that God is in the business of forgiving. Forgiveness is foolish. It makes no sense. That is the point. God forgives us all, and we need to forgive all as well. Let's pray. God, help us not to be like Jonah. I know we... A lot of us have read or have heard the story of Jonah being this great person. And in some ways, he was a decent person, but he let his heart get hardened. He was very narcissistic. He, he ran away from what you've called, called him to do. And you called the, the Ninevites in this story uh, to, to turn from their ways to love have hope and you forgave them and they believed in you and we thank you for your power and how strong your love is for all of us 
even those who claim to follow you but don't really do a good job at doing it, you still love us and you forgive us. And God, help us to realize that forgiveness is foolish, but that's what's so great about it. It's foolish because it makes no sense, but we're required to do it. And we don't have to forgive those who have hurt us overnight. It can take a long process, but help us to be a people who forgive or else it'll eat us up inside, little by little. But let us all here today, whether we're here in person or listening online, help us to be people and a faith that people know us on our forgiveness. Amen.